Welcome to this Palm Sunday edition of the Red-Headed Preacher, March 28th, 2021. Let me uh, begin us with a word of prayer. Great God, we give you thanks for what we learn about Jesus, learn about ourselves, and learn about others within the community of faith, perhaps, as we listen to the Palm Sunday message called Manifesting the, excuse me, the Messiah Made Manifest. We give you thanks and ask your spirit to move while we listen, that we will get out of it what you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon called Manifesting, you know, the Messiah Made Manifest is really kind of the point of the sermon. Uh, it's a lot of stuff that to build up our understanding of the context and uh, the future, too, uh, drawing from parts of Scripture that are not necessarily uh, read by Carolyn Van Til, our lector. She's reading Psalm 118, assorted verses, and John's version of Palm Sunday, which is John 12, verses uh, 12 through 16. I hope you enjoy this. I hope it's a little bit different. Um, and we'll see you on the other side. Our Old Testament reading is a regular on Palm Sunday. Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 19 through 29. It is one of the psalms connected with Passover. Jews sang this psalm after the Passover meal, which means Jesus and the disciples sang it on their way to the Mount Walls on Monday, Thursday night. O give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good, has steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. <clears throat> Bind the festival possessions with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. And I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. This ends the reading from Psalm 18. Our epistle reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 1. The Apostle Paul encourages the church to remember the humility and sacrifice of Jesus and to have the same mentality he had. This passage, thought to be an early pattern, which Paul inserted into the letter, holds extra interest because it is written before the Gospels were written, yet implies Jesus is God before he comes to him. It is also fitting to start believing. Paul wrote, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not require the quality of God as something to be exploited. But emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that all, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. This ends the reading of the epistle lesson. Our gospel today comes from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 16. This is John's version of the entrance for which we meet on Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, so as the throat. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson, and our scriptures for this song is common on Sunday. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. How do you tell a story? that you know almost everybody knows. I think it helps when you tell the story of Paul Sunday from John 12. It's been at least four years since we at St. Peter's heard this version of, event, of events. And it helps when you bring in the background for context, if not a touch of the future. It can help when you bring it all together at the end, knowing it is not. What was coming up in what was coming up in Israel at the time of John 12? Well, we know Passover was coming, right? Very soon. And Passover is the festival when Israel remembers and celebrates the exodus from slavery in Egypt led by God and God's servants Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. It is a freedom meal and a litany of liberation. Over time, over many centuries. It became not only a time of recollection and festivity, but also a time of expectation and hope. It came to be believed that when Elijah returned and Messiah came, most likely would be at a Passover celebration. We cannot forget that today. Something else to keep in mind is that it was not long ago that Jesus under threat of death, returned to Judea to visit his friend Mary and Martha of Bethany and join them in grieving the death of their brother Lazarus. Except Jesus revivified Lazarus from the dead. I say revivified rather than resurrected because resurrection is to eternal life. And as far as we know, Lazarus did die on but what's most important for us here is that this penultimate supreme miracle raised two things besides Lazarus. The number of people who now believed in Jesus and the fervor of the Pharisees to get him out of the picture for good. And it didn't start then. If you go earlier in Mark's gospel, it was chapter 4. He healed the man with the withered arm on the Sabbath. And right after that synagogue service, the Pharisees it says, we're plotting how to kill him. But 
But this raising of Lazarus, increasing the crowds, increased their fear. They feared that Rome would get wind of Jesus' large popularity. And to quote from John 11, they said, Come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. After hearing the prophecy from Caiaphas, John wrote, So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Meanwhile, after raising Lazarus, Jesus took off and hung out in Ephraim near the wilderness with his disciples. Passover got closer. Many of the Jews arrived in Jerusalem for it, and John tells us for context again, they were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Surely he will not come to the festival, will he? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given order that anyone who knew where Jesus was should let them know so that they might arrest him. This was in chapter 11. So Passover is coming with its anticipation, especially thick since Jesus was alive then. Thicker even more so because there was conspiracy against Jesus along with those who longed for his possible messiahship. Because Passover is the time of the escape from Egypt and of the meal, bringing it back before each generation of Israelites, there grew a set of specific psalms called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Egyptian, because they are part of the festival of freedom from Egypt. In Hallel, if you hear the word, it is related to Hallel Luya. Praise the Lord. So, uh, Psalms 113 through 118 were designated Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 and 114 are some before the Passover meal, as Carolyn indicated. Psalms 115 through 118 are some afterwards. So, what, oh, what do Jesus and the disciples hear when they begin walking toward the holy city? What you heard Carolyn read, Psalm 118. People went out to meet him, shouting the psalm, which includes, even though it's not included in John 12, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And this rejected Jesus, whom the Pharisees, priests, and scribes, God's experts, never wanted anything to do with be the real Jewish leader of Israel? You know, his ancestor David, after all, was rejected in the prophet Samuel's mind when he showed up as the last of Jesse's sons, a candidate for the next king. He was too young, too short, too redheaded. Yet the Lord told Samuel, who was there to anoint the next king, that David was not to be rejected. David was the one to anoint. And later, after being anointed and brought to the court, he was rejected for fighting the giant Goliath. He was too short. His armor, that Saul said, try this armor. It was way too long. It was a laugh. And so when they considered him, they said, no, you can't do this. And yet we know what happened. The stone 
rejected by the adult experts, was the chief cornerstone of the golden age in Israel. This miracle worker and healer, despised as a rebel teacher by the experts, was the new rejected stone that would become the chief cornerstone. You can hear, excuse me, you can imagine the chief priests and scribes standing by the parade with steam just pouring out of their ears. The crowd's chants of Psalm 118 continued, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And they were about to carry on, we know, but in this Passover song, accompanying Jesus' entry, there is no reference to the King of Israel. Jesus caught that. John tells us that right then and there, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's car. This is from Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Knowing that the Jews would associate a cry of king of Israel and Passover, to a military-type ruler or messiah. Jesus quickly sought to dispel that misunderstanding, if possible, by climbing on a quickly borrowed donkey. That signifies not military victory, such as one would call for a war horse, if you were going to be marking that. It's a donkey, the animal of the commoner, the animal of peace. The verses in Zechariah 9, clarify what Jesus is pointing to as prophecy fulfillment. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a cold full donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle boat shall be cut off, and he shall command peace nations. Something John added to the Zechariah prophecy, which John mentions along with it after getting the donkey, is this. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. That's not in Psalm 118, but it is in the Zechariah. How often have you or I read or heard that in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Have no fear. Frederick Dale Bruner says this being invoked is a way to express the peace-giving character of the coming humbly-mounted monarch. It is very often used in the event in scriptures of a divine manifestation, when someone's going to encounter God in some way, such as perhaps an angel, but here, Jesus, when the divine reveals the divine self. People are frightened. Here, we hear the quoting from Zechariah, do not be afraid. Be not afraid. This is good news. This king is coming. I'm and come. All along, in this whole scenario, Jesus never tells people to be quiet or that they got it wrong. He tries to redirect them to a humble ruler of peace 
not a new version of its ancestor, the warrior king David. The pressure did not recede, however. Of all the Gospels, John alone specifically says that branches of palm trees were used in this procession. Well, what does that mean? A scholar with the last name of Schlatter wrote that of Jewish practice, quote, the palm celebrates the victor. Another uh, scholar named Burge went further. He said, looking back to the past a little bit, when the temple was rededicated during the Maccabean era, palms were used in that celebration. During both major wars with Rome, reliefs of palms were stamped on the coins minted by the rebels. Thus, this act of celebration with palms is by no means neutral. The palm symbolizes Israel's national hopes, Burge said, now focused on Jesus being hailed as he enters the city. He is misunderstood as a national So what is going on after we take all this in? And it is a good bit to take in. We have the context of the raising of Lazarus and the responses pro and con that were increased and energized. We have the conspiracy against Jesus, the knowledge of the conspiracy among some of the people, the threats, and then we have Passover. Jesus comes to King David's royal city for Passover with all the psalms and expectations, detractors ominously lying in weights, palm branches, waiting with more than their actual weights, prophecies on the march as well. Jesus tries to redirect their misunderstanding or their understanding, to redirect their understanding of Messiah or King of Israel, which the disciples did not understand until after the resurrection. John says tells us that. But all the same, knowing that the Pharisees, elders, Sanhedrin, scribes, and priests were plotting Jesus' death, Christ and his followers came to Passover. They came to Jerusalem, walking and riding publicly in. Noting that Jesus is not the king-type people at this time, thought him to be, Bruner writes, nevertheless, in a certain sense, Jesus does come out of the messianic closet in this scene. He does go public here. For he is the promised son of David, king of Israel, whenever his royalty is rightfully understood, that is to say, when it is understood passionately, remembering this is Passionately, passionately, humbly, donkey-like. Or as I kind of like to say, Jesus finally put himself out there and let the claim of the Messiah come to him by unchecked, by anything he says, only by what he does, by getting the donkey. And by John adding, do not be afraid for his readers to his version of Zechariah 9. Jesus is saying to those who cheer him, You've got part of this right. And here I come. 
I'm done playing verbal cat and mouse with your scribes, Pharisees, and priests, hypocrites. We've got just a little bit of time left, and I'm still going to cry out for souls to hear me right. It's the time for the final round for all the marbles. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. Like a holy throwdown. Or as UCC Pastor Cheryl Lindsay puts it, maybe part of that crowd knew what was about to happen. Not the means, but the ends. They perceived that the time had come. This was no ordinary arrival. Jesus, as we already noted, traveled back and forth to Jerusalem. Every other time was on foot. Something different was happening. Jesus had attracted crowds before, but he used that as a platform for teaching. If when the other crowds rose up in adulation, Jesus would escape the crowd with his disciples or alone. Here, Jesus allows the praise to flow. Because it's time. It's happened. Messiah is made manifest. It will be a crucified Messiah. Hosanna, O Lord, save us. It is on. Dice have been thrown onto the table, but this is no game. Thank you for tuning in to the first Holy Week edition, the start of Holy Week's editions of the podcast. Laura and I have not spoken about whether to make, well, there is no message on Good Friday. I do preach on Monday, Thursday. We have not spoken about podcasting that, so we will talk about that. Um, if you don't hear me then, We'll certainly have a podcast on Resurrection Sunday, April 4th. So I uh, appreciate those of you tuning in. And um, God bless your week. And may God bless the week that I have to do as well. And all pastors who preach. In Jesus' name, amen.